Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Welcome, dolphins. I love you. Sorry for enslaving and exploiting Flipper. I know that's not how you pronounce his name in dolphin, so here's a heartfelt apology on behalf of the third smartest species on the planet. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Science Factual, the show that dives into the facts behind your favorite science fiction. I'm your host, Reese Hendrick, and this week I'm super excited to insert my babblefish stick the old thumb out, and hitch a ride somewhere out there in this strange and vast galaxy that we call home. And don't you worry, of course I have my towel. We're going to take a pit stop somewhere out near the vicinity of Beetlejuice for an interview with the very funny Imani Dene. We got to talking about the 2005 film adaptation before the weekly comedy open mic at Kelly's Olympian, hosted by Portland comedian Jaron George. Those signups start at 3.30, so make sure you get there because the list fills up pretty quickly. Now, before we engage the infinite improbability drive and warp reality with a bunch of facts about the TV show, radio broadcast, books, and movie, I think we need to all open our Hitchhiker's Guides to page one for a galaxy-wide... Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! By the way, you can get this super awesome pin of an actual Hitchhiker's Guidebook uh, in pin format, and it opens up. Uh, Etsy user We the Sciencey, that's W E the Sciencey, S C I E N C E Y, offers them on their store. So I highly encourage uh, if you're a super fan like me, support an independent artist and get a really cool pin out of it. So check that out. Now, if you've never heard the radio broadcast, seen the television show, or read any of the books, that's okay. In fact, that's kind of the whole point of this show, which is to have you learn something you might not have already known, and perhaps relearn things you did know. Even I haven't had the time to go over all of the direct source materials available for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I'm putting on a show about it. Either way, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by British writer Douglas Adams mocks modern society with humor and cynicism and has as its hero a hapless, deeply ordinary Englishman by the name of Arthur Dent who unexpectedly finds himself adrift in a universe characterized by randomness and absurdity. So let's get into a brief summary of the overall novel-based plot over a nice cuppa, shall we? Ah. <laughs> Arthur Dent, whose house is about to be demolished for a planned road bypass, is lying down in front of a bulldozer when his friend Ford Prefect arrives and tells him that it is imperative that they go to the pub immediately. There, Ford explains that he is actually from a planet near Beetlejuice and that another alien species, the Vogons, are about to destroy the Earth and make space for a hyperspatial express route. Um, people of Earth, this is prosthetic Vogon Jelts of the Galactic Hyperspace Planning Council. As you are probably aware, plans for the development of the outlying regions of the galaxy involve the building of a hyperspace express route through your star system. 
And your planet is one of those scheduled for demolition. Meanwhile, Zaphod Beeblebrox, president of the galaxy, and his human female friend Trillian steal the Heart of Gold spaceship. Ford and Arthur hitch a ride on a Vogon destructor ship, and Ford lends Arthur the electronic guidebook, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and gives him a babblefish to stick in his ear to translate alien speech. The Vogon ship captain has Ford and Arthur ejected into space, but only after reading some of that terrible poetry. But the Heart of Gold, which has an infinite improbability drive, picks them up 29 seconds later. Which is great because you can only exist for about 30 seconds in space with lungs full of air. The drive makes it possible to traverse interstellar space almost instantaneously, but also causes Ford to briefly turn into a penguin. Zaphod sends his depressive robot Marvin to escort the hitchhikers to the bridge. Later that night, the Heart of Gold reaches its destination, the legendary planet Magmathea, which in the past built planets to order for wealthy customers, but later disappeared. However, Magrathea, after sending a message that it's closed for business, fires missiles at the Heart of Gold. The ship's computer is unable to take evasive action, but Arthur engages the infinite improbability drive and the missiles turn into a sperm whale and a bowl of petunias. Both fall to the planet's surface. Everything seems fine, except the Trillion's pet mice, Benji and Frankie, escape their cage, which we'll get to in a minute. On Magrathea, Zaphod, Trillion, and Ford explore the planet's tunnels leaving Marvin and Arthur to guard the entrance. Arthur encounters an elderly native of the planet who introduces himself as Slatabartfast, say that five times fast, and explains that the populace is not dead, but were sleeping until the economy improved. They are now engaged in building a second Earth, having been commissioned by mice, which are really hyper-intelligent pan-dimensional beings who built the first Earth. These beings had built a supercomputer, Deep Thought, to determine the answer to life, the universe, and everything. After a period of seven and a half million years, the computer declared the answer to be 42. The computer designed a more powerful computer, Earth, to find the question to which 42 is the answer. Earth had nearly completed its calculations when the Vogons destroyed it. Slatabartfast brings Arthur to meet the mice who commissioned the building of Earth, and they prove to be Benji and Frankie. Zaphod and Ford suggest that Arthur may have some ideas about the question, and his, quote, brain was an organic part of Earth, and Benji and Frankie decide that they will buy Arthur's brain and chop it up to look for their answer. Arthur, Ford, Zaphod, and Trillian are saved by the arrival of the Galactic Police to arrest Zaphod for the theft of the Heart of Gold. Marvin depresses the computer running the ship and life systems for the police into committing suicide, and the five travelers all escape to the Heart of Gold, after which they head toward the restaurant at the end of the universe. I heard they had a pretty good menu. Alright folks, here are some pan-galactic facts about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which first appeared as a 12-part series on BBC Radio from 1978 to 1980, and was a concept for a science fiction comedy radio series pitched by Adams and radio producer Simon Brett to BBC Radio 4 in 1977. Adams came up with an outline for a pilot episode, as well as a few other stories, which were reprinted in Neil Gaiman's book, Don't Panic, The Official Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Companion, which could be used throughout the series while listening. According to Adams, the idea for the title occurred to him while he lay drunk in a field in Innsbruck, Austria, gazing at the stars. He was carrying a copy of The Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe, and it occurred to him that Somebody ought to just write a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but I don't want to spoil your water cooler facts just yet. Despite the original outline and much like this show, Adams was said to make up the stories as he wrote them. He turned to John Lloyd for help with the final two episodes of the first series. Lloyd contributed bits from an unpublished science fiction book of his own called Gygax. Very little of Lloyd's material survived in later adaptations of Hitchhikers, such as the novels and the television series, but the television series was based on the first six radio episodes, and 
sections contributed by Lloyd were largely rewritten. BBC Radio 4 broadcast the first radio series weekly in the UK starting the 8th of March 1978 and lasting until April. The series was distributed in the United States by National Public Radio, NPR. Following the success of the first series, another episode was recorded and broadcast, which was commonly known as the Christmas episode. A second series of five episodes was broadcast one per night during the week of the 21st through the 25th of January in the year 1980. The five-book series that followed, which Adams called a, quote, trilogy, uh, sold millions of copies worldwide. The books were, in addition to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, The Restaurant at the End of the Universe in 1980, Life, the Universe, and Everything in 1982, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish in 1984, and mostly harmless in 1992. After Adam's death in 2001, a sixth tale, and another thing, written by Ian Colfer, was published in 2009. The books form the basis for other adaptations, such as three-part comic book adaptations for each of the first three books, an interactive text adventure computer game, and a photo-illustrated edition published in 1994. This latter edition featured a 42 puzzle designed by Adams, which was later incorporated into paperback covers of the first four Hitchhiker's novels. The paperback for the fifth reused the artwork from the hardback edition. In 1979, Adams was offered $50,000 for a film version of the radio series. He turned it down because the director wanted to make a, quote, Star Wars with jokes. However, in 1980, Adams began attempts to turn the first Hitchhiker's novel into a film, making several trips to Los Angeles and working with Hollywood studios and potential producers. The next year, the radio series became the basis for a BBC television miniseries broadcast in six parts. Terry Jones of Monty Python fame wanted to make a film a few years later, but the pair ultimately decided not to proceed as they were friends first, but had never actually worked together before and were worried it would ruin their friendship. By this point, Adams had also written five versions of his story, including a stage play, and wanted to write a new version of things. When he died in 2001 in California, he had been trying to, again, get the film project started with Disney which had bought the rights in 1998. The screenplay got a posthumous rewrite by Carrie Kirkpatrick, and the resulting film was released in 2005, the one we all know and love. I'm sure Adams appreciated the little coincidences in life, and in a wonderful twist in keeping with the book's opening premise of Earth being demolished to make way for a, what is ostensibly a motorway, the field in Innsbruck, Austria, has since been paved over to make way for a stretch of the Autobahn. There is some disagreement as to the correct writing of the book's title, notably in the book itself, where it ranges from hitchhikers hyphenated to hitchhikers, one word possessive, and hitchhikers, two words, the latter of which is possessive, with and without apostrophes, depending on whether you're looking at the cover, the spine, the contents, the radio outline, or the American version. Arthur Dent was to be called Ulrich B. before a last-minute replacement in the script outline Adams pitched to the BBC. He had originally thought of writing six episodes, in which the Earth ended differently each time, but needed a means of explaining the universe, at which point he remembered his idea from the field in Innsbruck, Austria. You know, that old ditty about the Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe. John Lloyd, who went on to produce Spitting Image, Black Adder, and QI, co-wrote the final two episodes of the radio series with Adams. Adams then asked him to write the Hitchhiker's novel with him before deciding to do it on his own. They ended up writing The Meaning of Life together in 1983 instead. After giving Lloyd half of the £3,000 advance for breaking their book contract, Adams got a £1,500 advance for the first Hitchhiker's book. His advance for the fourth in the series, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, topped 600,000 pounds. And you gotta remember, this is like in the early 80s. I mean, that's pretty big money. A computer game of Hitchhikers with a new story written by Adams was the number one game in America for a single year, selling more than a quarter million copies and getting ecstatic reviews in The Times magazine. 
1999, Adams launched an online version of the guide, H2G2 as it became known, was later taken over by the BBC and continues to run. It preempted Wikipedia, the guide's true spiritual incarnation, by three years. Hitchhiker's conspiracy theorists cite Lewis Carroll as an influence in Adams using 42 as the answer to life, the universe, and everything. However, Adams found Alice in Wonderland utterly terrifying when it was read to him as a child, hated the book as a result, and issued a definitive no. Adams also issued a definitive no when it came to Cosmic Cutie, the green bubble that you see on a lot of the paperback versions of the novels and their parts. He absolutely hated the thing and fought desperately to get it removed from the paperback novel covers. The answer to life, the universe, and everything exists almost in spite of the question itself. Adams poo-pooed the endless theories about 42 being to do with like Tibetan monks or binary codes, and he said it was just a number that sounded funny. It's just a funny answer. In Neil Gaiman's excellent companion book, uh, page 42 is blank apart from two words in bold. Don't panic. And that's ultimately what the message boils down to. Or doesn't. When Douglas Adams died in California in May of 2001 of a heart attack following a gym workout, it was affectionately observed by many fans that, in the end, he was a man who knew where his towel was at all times. Up next, we have a great interview with Portland comedian Imani Dene. Turns out we both hitched a ride over to Kelly's Olympian Mike by way of Magrathea, so we got to talking about the Hitchhiker's Guide movie. Now, I will say that during the second half of the interview, we got discovered by some Vogons and had to jump out front. So please excuse any galactic static and enjoy the interview. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is a great graphic novel by Alan Moore. Last week I did Watchmen with Jake Silverman, mm -hmm. and that was, uh, it was a reminder that he has so many things, like V for Vendetta, and what have you, so, yeah, well, I, we're here at Kelly's Olympian, I'm here with Imani Dene. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Um, happy, uh, belated International Women's Day. Yeah, thank you. You're I, welcome. I appreciate that. Yeah, it should be International <laughs> Women's Month. I didn't even realize it was just a day. No one told me this. It was just a day. Yeah, just just one day, uh, March eighth. I, I don't know if that has any significance. Like, there's a there was something that happened regarding women's suffrage, but um, it's my white male privilege to not have to know. <laughs> Honestly, it's weird, but you know way more than me. So hey, well, <laughs> like, cheers. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Uh, I appreciate it. We're here to talk about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, which it took me a while to realize that it was more than a movie. Because mm -hmm. you know, I, I saw it in theaters. I was 15 in 2015, or 2005, rather. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, what a great movie. And then as I, you know, started researching stuff more and more, um, you know, I realized, like, it was a radio show, it was a novel, it was a television show, and uh, that it's like the third biggest thing British-wise, like, behind Monty Python, Doctor Who, you know, and so far as, like, exports that have made it to America that are, like, I would mm -hmm. say mainstream. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a pretty big movie. It had some it, pretty pretty big names behind it. It does remind me of Doctor Who a little bit. Sure. Just, like, watching it. Because um, I remember Doctor Who, when I was a freshman in high school, got super big it was all over hot topic like it was probably oh, yeah. like one of the coolest so who was your first doctor matt smith or um i think he was I, like the uh, eighth doctor see because I, I started around like the seventh doctor eighth doctor it was the one before he had the black woman be his guest okay so that's that's more recent yeah yeah okay well, that's, and that's fine. You know, people pick up things all the time, you know, in different stages. Mm -hmm. you know, like, I tried yeah. watching it from the beginning. Yeah. And it was just harder to follow because of how graphically not beautiful it was. You mean the first, like, the first season of Doctor Who? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it's rough. It's, like, it's, it's kind of... It's not great. Yeah. It's, it's rough. I think it was, like, 
either late fifties or yeah, it was mid mid to late fifties when it first started. Because someone tried to convince me that everything in that whole thing is like congruent, like you have to watch every episode no, to get no, no, the no. overall mm. big. I don't know. Maybe, maybe for like ultra nerd Easter eggs, yeah. I could see that. But like yeah. the weeping statues. Well, that was a later invention. That was uh, that that was written in around probably the time that you picked up the series, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's it, you know the the Cybermen, the Daleks, those were old school you know reincarnations into the new series, reimaginations in new series, which you know definitely if if you wanted to have those deep seated nerd connections in your brain, mm-hmm. like just taking up space rent free about like oh yeah, this is how the original Doctor ties into the new stuff. By all means, you know, waste, <laughs> yes. waste your time and. <laughs> I mean, there's some shows where you can just watch them, and it's like, I'm 14 seasons deep into Grassy. Like that's that's how yeah. I end up in, end up watching shows. I. That's I how Drake ended up being Drake. He was 14 seasons into Degrassi, <laughs> yes, and he was he like, was. you know what, I got to switch this up. <laughs> yeah. He definitely and, and was. He sure did. Started from the, the bottom, bottom, now he here. Um, so, Imani, what's your Instagram? Um, so I have two Instagrams. Wow. Um, some people are like, oh, you have Finsta or like a secret Insta or a Sinsta. I don't know. But that's, it's, that's now to only me fans. It's, <laughs> that, secret yeah, Instagram is OnlyFans. That's OnlyFans. <laughs> I just have two Instagrams. I have okay. um, the first one, the one that's like really just comedy stuff is um, Imani Dene underscore. And then the other one is underscore weird ho. Yes. Okay, is, and that's ho with an e at the end. Yes. Okay. Just weird. I mean, I, I have, I have to, yeah. Uh, okay, I, just, I mean, I because there are, there are many spellings. There, there are many spellings of ho. Yes. <laughs> so true. Uh, so let me ask you this: How did you first get started in stand-up comedy? Um. So. Every time I tell this story, I feel really insecure about it. That's okay. But o- it only was... only a hundred or so people are going to hear this at this point. So <laughs> maybe in the future, that, in the it'll future. raise that insecurity. But for now, don't, don't <laughs> right feel... Right now, it's probably yeah. not that bad. Right now, but it's just you and me. <laughs> it had to do with a boy. This guy I was interested in, he did music, and he was like, I think that like you should do comedy. And I was like, okay. And... It didn't t- like I didn't immediately jump into comedy after that, but I almost did it in spite of him because I stopped talking to him mm. and he broke my heart. And then mm. I was just like, "What if I like actually took this comedy thing and actually did something with it?" So this is and just then- like the <laughs> longest, most bitterest. Like, I'll show you. <laughs> That's how it feels. <laughs> Every single time I do something great in comedy, I'm that's just like, the power of spite. I'm fucking that's the power of spite. This guy. Good. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. It, whatever your motivation is, mm-hmm. that's fine. It's kind of sinister, but that was why. <laughs> that's why I'm here, guys. Great. Well, we're happy to have you. You're fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, I can't remember a time that you bombed. So. That's yeah. very nice. Yeah. But maybe <laughs> I don't see nice you often see. enough. Maybe I don't see you often enough. We'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll increase the ratio of times that I see you, and we'll see how. I mean, <laughs> I appreciate it being said. <laughs> right on. Well, uh, so so what was your first exposure to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Um, I had been like, I, I always do the math in my head. So I was nine years old, I think, when Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy came out. And I remember watching it in my like living room with my seven siblings, and we all kind of memorized the song with the dolphins at the beginning. Thanks so for all the fish. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we like had that down, and we'd always sing it around the house and stuff. Solid. And yeah, so I opened the episode with it. Is <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a great tune. It's a it's great a, it's, tune. Yeah, it's a solid tune. And I then the I movie... found myself whistling it at work. I mean, it's, like... <laughs> it's just. In that movie, like as a kid, you don't you don't realize the overarching idea. You just kind of think it's just a neat movie, and then I've seen it like a billion times at this point. Like I okay. feel like I've seen this movie. So that's that was another question I was going to ask. You're a serial watcher of things. Yeah, I, I am too. Like it, it, even to get the nuances or like references to other things, or you know, just like because whenever I do an episode, I live in the content, right? Mm-hmm. So like I'm always looking at what have you. And then when I do finally watch the piece after doing all the research again, I'm like. 
oh wow, like you know, this, that, and the third ties in with that, and you know, so it's it's always I need to watch things over and over again. Mm-hmm. This this one's more of like a lighter piece, but you know, like uh, I went through to find all the impossibility drive, mm-hmm. like what did it all show up as in the movie. And I'm just glad that it was on. I, first, I got quick fingers. Yeah. And then, uh, secondly, I was able to you know, play pause, play pause on you know, like, oh, it's a smoking pipe, or it's a pot of carnations, or yeah. you know, it's like the bust of a statue, or at the oh, end, right. it's like Douglas Adams. And it's like in the movie theater, like the, things like that, you know, they just fly right past you, especially because of the way that it's edited. It's yeah. Like, yeah. You know, when it shows up, it's like doop 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 doop, and then it's the actual spaceship. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's. I like to be able to Pause see, see exactly what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to repeat scenes um, when I would watch a movie. There's like this. It's kind of like making a GIF, but you can like put an A and a, put a B when you're watching a movie, and then play that scene over and over and over again on repeat. And I would do that all the time with movies, so I would end up memorizing random lines from movies that way but yeah this movie like the whole idea of the movie that's so great is that it just the don't panic idea like don't yeah. take life too seriously like it's this existential like well isn't isn't ford ford is the one who is writing or at least is updating the book yeah. like right so through his travels and it's mm-hmm. funny that he has to remind himself over and over again he's like don't panic and most, I think most dad did a freaking great job. He did like he is a, great, a fantastic great actor. Job. I think he's a fantastic actor. He's a great rapper. Great rapper <laughs> as well. But yeah, like I like that idea. And then just everything about how like people are useless. Everything's kind of useless. Like why are you stressed? It is what it is. Yeah. It's just like well, and like like when they're about to get shot out into space on the Bogon ship, you know, he's yeah. just like, well, okay, I guess this is how it ends. Um, <laughs> I tried my best, you know. Uh, so that that brings me to this question: Who is your favorite character? Um, I like Marvin. <laughs> the yeah, very depressed. I love Alan Rickman for being such a great voice actor. I mean, it's yes. it, he is amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that he interfaces with the ship, uh, and and is you know every time the doors open, it sighs. <laughs> so funny to me. And then um, that's I do uniquely like British. Zando, Zando. Sam, Ro- Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's so charismatic. He's so charismatic. Yeah. Like if I were to think of an intergalactic. Uh, president. <laughs> yes, that would be. <laughs> I, him. I, I could see him, and what a name too. Mm-hmm. Um, that, so that, that's that's something I was talking with some, uh, with another buddy of mine. You know, like reading the book, you have to. I, I wish there was a a Ford or a table of contents that phonetically sounded out all of the names of things. You kind of have to guess. You have to guess, yeah. And mm-hmm. unless you you see the movie multiple times. It, it doesn't really land, you know, like, you could put a gun to my head, even now, after all the research I've done, and say, hey, what's the, inter- you know, what's the galactic president's name from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I'd be like, well, it's been fun. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. Uh, thank you so much for, for having me. <laughs> like, like, I'm getting off at a mic that I bombed at, <laughs> um, which I guess is life. Yeah, it's like hosting a mic, and then you see a random name, and you're like, Haha, I know you. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, well, I, it, so that's why Michael J. Phelps every time at, at my father's place is like, if I don't know you, please come and introduce yourself because otherwise I don't know you or how to pronounce your name, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So it's a yeah, it's a good practice. Yeah, like read a, their handwriting. That's a, mm, yeah, that's another that's another big problem. And you know, the more we type, the less our mm-hmm. handwriting becomes legible. So do, do you have a, a character that you identify with? I think it's just personality-wise and, like, um, the characters' storylines that I, like, kind of relate to. Like, Trillian, she's, like, this girl who just really wanted something, like, adventurous and, like, crazy to happen. And then something really adventurous and crazy happened. And then now... But she rolls with it. She rolls with it. She rolls with it pretty well. She rolls with the punches. She's just kind of like, this is it now. Right. Yeah. This is this is my reality. This is my reality. Uh, this is what I'm going to operate within. Yeah. Absolutely. And then Marvin is just literally a complete depressed person. Yeah. Ford is just trying to figure it out. <laughs> so. Right. But like 
everybody's just like, okay, we're just going to try and figure it out, like figure out our lives, figure out where we, yeah. our roles, but we shouldn't question it and just let it happen because it is what it is. Well, they're, they're all kind of led by the quest of what is the ultimate question in order to understand the ultimate answer. Because they just want to know what they're doing. Fake. Right, they, everybody's just everybody's trying to figure it out. Yeah, like, what am I doing? And, and I think I to, to speak a bit to your point is that they have these unique personality types that I think all of us can identify with to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's this aspect of me that are each of these characters. And... Like, yeah, I like relate to Zando, weirdly or, yeah. enough. Like, the, yeah. the galactic president. I'm sure. just like... His impulsivity, his just like arrogance, single-minded like drive, single-minded yeah. drive. Sure. He's like, I want this, and I want this, right? Regardless of everybody else in this room. Oh yeah, like, oh that's. That, I mean, that's a key component to his story arc for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that um, you know, it's it's definitely a a comment on people in power where mm-hmm. they will you know just kind of steamroll the through everyone <laughs> through everyone in order to get what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have a favorite scene? I, I, I think you, I mean, the opening one, the opening musical yes, the sequence. Open, the opening <laughs> musical sequence. And then at the end of the movie, when mm. you find out, like, that the rats. Right, where the, uh, the, ch- the, the two from yeah. Magathea. Is that? Mm-hmm. See, yeah, I, I think it's again, Magathea. Again, put a gun to my head. Magathea, <laughs> Magathea. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. Yeah, I, yeah, I could see... Yeah, Sam yeah. Will be like, we're here, we're here. Oh no, we're not. And then, oh, but his his opponent, uh, played by John Malkovich, that yes. was such a. Um, oh, but I, I couldn't. I don't. I, I was thinking about who else could be in that role. Gary Busey. I could see Gary. <laughs> I don't Busey. know why, but I saw the face of. Oh my God! I always forget his name. He is like Steve Brule. Yeah, yeah, John C. Riley. I see John C. Riley. <laughs> yeah. <when> I see him. <laughs> if they ever wanted to redo it, uh, I think John C. Riley could make a great. Well, John Hama C. Riley. That's his name. Hama 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 Hama. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it, did you pull it from his like they're at yeah. the planet? He's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> such great scenes. Um, so, have, have you read any of the books? <laughs> Um, I had the books read to me when I was a kid. That's okay. why it made it, like... Nice. I, I hate reading. I'm, like, super dyslexic. I'm not even going to front. Like, I can read very well. But, like, that, um... I really enjoyed having that book read to me. Because, like, I could tell that those words that were made up that aren't real. And that would have already fucked me up if I had to read it myself. Yeah. So... Having it been one of the only books that was ever, like, read to me by my family, I was just like, this is actually a dope, nice. interesting story. Yeah. With, like, it's creative, everything about my it. My parents never read to me so far as I know. So, like, I, I read for myself. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, but I, I always fell asleep to what the context was I, I was reading, I'm mm-hmm. sure, that was being read to you. And that's always so fun. You know, like, you get to ex- explore that realm in your own sense. Yeah. Outside now. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're, we're out in public. We're, we're straight up in downtown Portland now. Which, you know, there are worse places to be, I guess. That's, that's very true. That is very, very true. Um, so we were, we were talking about the books. Uh, you know, I, I haven't watched too much of the BBC's show. And I haven't listened to any of the radio broadcasts. But they went on for quite some time. Like, the, yeah. the radio broadcast went on from 1978 and was syndicated for 2018. Like, I, I did not know that. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, outside of, like, Monty Python, Doctor Who, and Hitchhiker's Guide, like, is there anything else that's uniquely British that makes it? Because, like, you know, B- uh, this aired on BBC4 audio, you know? Like, I, I certainly don't even have access to it. <laughs> like random things that I like discovered um like just through going through Netflix and being a binge watcher of sorts but, yeah like, well, um, well even the TV show like all right like so I I would I could see this being like re-syndicated on Netflix or Hulu yeah. or something but it's not you know like I don't even know if it's on the BBC app like the you know the Paramount Plus of yeah Like a vault. 
Normally, I'd say save some pussy for the rest of us. I don't think so. I don't. I don't. <laughs> that was basically one for like, where are you trying to go? Like, I, I think you that need your car to make that much noise. All I hear is gas prices. Like everything is like, <laughs> like roof revving up, just like four ninety eight a gallon. I'm just like, what the fuck I are you doing? I saw five oh nine somewhere, and I'm like, I would it's rather die. It's bad right now. <laughs> It is, uh, I'm about to start fucking buying canola oil and pouring it in my <laughs> gas tank. See what happens. Well, so all those all those kooky biodiesel people, right? Like they're you know they're just picking up old French fry oil. Everybody else, you know, restaurants are like, yeah, no, take it, please. I I don't want to have to pay to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So you take that shit. Yeah. All I think of now when I hear King of the Hill is Hank Trill. Hank Trill. The TikTok. Uh, oh, it's, um, basically it's like a trill beat that has to do with, uh, and, and it's Hank Hill over it. I like, think that's Propane it. tanks got me hella bank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have a very good, um, Hank Hill Thank voice. Thank you. Oh, I yeah. appreciate that, yeah. <laughs> uh, my, uh, I love Mike Judge. Shout out Mike Judge. Um... <laughs> Thank you for listening, Mike. I know, I know you're a diehard listener, <laughs> so I appreciate you for that. Um, so you were, you were read the books. It's it's kind of weird. It's three parts split up into five books. Yeah. So I mean, like I remember specifically the like, at the end of the galaxy. Yeah, the, yeah, the restaurant at the, at the edge of the universe. Yeah, edge of yeah. the universe. That- uh, and, and you know they they, uh, they don't elaborate on that in the movie, which they was do kinda, not, it which was kind of sad. That's kind of disappointing. Yeah, that's I actually was, like probably one of the most fascinating parts of. Yeah, absolutely. Story. Yeah, very visually strange. And, and you know, give it to Douglas Adams for. I mean, <laughs> what a what a mind. I need HBO mind. to like kind of Westworld this uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy story. You know, I could I see a television it. reboot. I could absolutely. You know, there are, there are a lot of film adaptations that deserve to be series in their own right. I was talking about Jake Silverman with that last episode on Watchmen. It's like, you know, the, the, there were so many things. And the, the Watchmen series is 12 pieces put together into one movie. I mean, like, it's kind of impossible. Hello. That's, that's okay. Have a good one. The lovely folk of downtown Portland making an appearance. Hey. <laughs> special guest. Yeah, special, special guest, random person. So hey, how do you feel about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? He's like, actually, I hitchhiked here from Salem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have a least favorite scene in the movie? Like, because, and I ask that from most people uh, about whatever we're covering because there's usually something that hits people wrong. But I honestly can't think other than leaving out the. Yeah restaurant at the edge of the universe you know i can't think of a bad scene or something that like the the vehicle of the infographic mm-hmm. throughout the movie i think was super powerful and yeah. you know, like brought a unique I, I i can't remember another film that really does it that way mm-hmm. you know integrating the i would i would almost call the hitchhiker's guide the protagonist in itself you know, a character in and of itself because it's it's referenced so much and it has like a, almost a mind of its own you know yeah like, plus a lot of the advice and stuff in it is just like made up like yeah BS things that wouldn't <laughs> right you know like a Bogot drinking poetry yeah and I read the transcript <laughs> of it and it's actually not bad it's I mean it's there's it, some it, parts that made and, yeah. and a lot of them were just words that. Well, look, a lot of poetry is up for interpretation. That is very right? true. And so I, you know. Rhythmic, what's the word? Rhythmically. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds fine. <laughs> it's no iambic pentameter, but <laughs> yeah. it speaks. I think it speaks to like everybody else in the universe thinks that it's trash, and then Dent or Arthur is like. It wasn't that bad, you know, like the representative from Magrathia. Magrathia. Uh, <laughs> Leroy Furwood, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> on the streets of Portland. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. <laughs> um, 
So let me ask you this: Do you like British comedy in general? Because I mean, we've talked about yeah. a couple. Of, like, I, like, do you like Monty Python? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like yeah. Monty Python. I tried. I have a running tally of people who like it. Don't like it. You're, you're in the basket. Okay. Story. There's a lot of different like British comedy TV Well, there, there's Peep Show. Peep Show. Uh, Little Britain. Uh, if you haven't seen Little Britain, that's, I mean, it's freaking hilarious. There's also The Extras. Oh, The Extras. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which is so good. Love Ricky Gervais. Love I Life like After. The, Life After is good, too. Yeah. I just like the dryness yeah. of British humor because it's just like... Well, and it I asked feels this like specifically it's all written in the rain. Like, well, everything is so, like in the So, rain. listening to your stand-up, like, I, the, I asked you specifically about British humor, because, like, I've covered other British things, like, you know, yeah. not it's not for everybody. Like, I, you've all, I find you pretty dry and, and blunt oh. at times, like, especially with your delivery, you know, like, I, could, I could see that being the case. Um, what I really like about, uh, like, one of my favorite British comedians is Jimmy Carr. I think oh, Jimmy Carr is... Jimmy Carr is Jimmy so Carr yeah, his and the way he deals with hecklers too. Oh, oh man. yes, he's like the king of hecklers. Yeah. He's just this quick wit, like punch after punch after punch. Yeah, it's just well, even when even when he tells way. a story, story such a, such yeah. a great wrap up, callbacks, all sorts of like you know inferences. He's a so polished and, and uniquely British in in his just in presence. Yeah, always wearing a three piece suit. You know, like, uh, I, whenever I see somebody that has more than four buttons on their suit, I call it a Steve Harvey. <laughs> whenever I see somebody in a three-piece suit, I call it a Jimmy Carr. You know, like, uh, he's he's uh, he's just, like, that proper British fellow. And there are other great British British comedians, like, uh, I think uh, James Whitehall. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, he's, he's funny. He was in, um, Disney, what is it, Jungle Cruise, the, the one that came out recently. Yeah, Disney yeah. One with The Rock. I saw that yeah. one, yeah. Actually, a great movie. Great movie. Yeah. Great movie. <laughs> it, was, it was a really good movie. <laughs> it was a good movie. Uh, Dwayne the Tooth Fairy, The Rock Johnson, killed it. Um, the Rock is a great actor. Phenomenal. He is a great actor. Ballers and, uh, is a really great show. I just have to say it. Yeah, Ballers yeah. is great. Yeah, absolutely. Like, everybody wants to know the reason, like, why why we're doing it. What what are we doing? Yeah. And if the, the, the answer is 42, then what the fuck is that answer? What's the real question I should be asking? Right. Well, and and I think it's funny because, like, we think it's such a... They thought it was such a profound question. Like, what's the meaning to life and everything in the universe? And the computer's like, well, that's a bit vague. (laughs) You know, like, so here's a vague answer, right? And and it's, you know, I have a a 42 pin on a hat that I wear a lot. And it's because I was talking with a friend about... we, We were... LSD may or may not have been heavily involved. And uh, we were talking about the meaning of life and, you know, what is, like, the quality of sentience if it's just set to end, you know? Like, the next day she gave me the 42 pen. It's just like a 42 in a speech bubble. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I like it because it's... That's a cool gift. Yeah. Well, it's a cool gift, but it's also a cool... I love the answer. Yeah. It's such a good answer um, because, you know, you can either attribute meaning to it or meaningless and that is in itself life yeah isn't that great <laughs> wow yes isn't, isn't, so uh, meaningful and meaningless answers the Schrodinger's cat of answers to what is life in the universe all about <laughs> so Imani where can we hear you perform next what's because you have you have a, you have some upcoming showcases yes I have um, a couple this week I'm doing Hotel Zigzag show the Daniela Porter has a show. I cannot remember the name of it at the current moment. That's but, okay. Um, well, but they can find you on either yes. Imani Dene underscore or that. Underscore Weird Ho. Weird Ho. Okay. Yeah. Weird. With, with an E. Yes. It's yeah. like Weird and Ho together yeah. in one word. And I know it's it's stupid. I only did it because it was funny. That, it is funny. <laughs> That's why. It is funny. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know about your personal life, but could be accurate. <laughs> My brain, yeah. <laughs> my brain is a bit of a weirdo. Gotcha. Okay. Well, hey, Imani, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate yes. it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I, I enjoyed this a lot. I'm glad we chose Hitchhiker's Guide. It's a, it's one I've been wanting to do, and it's, it's definitely, a, it's a fun piece. I, I will definitely be going to Powell's uh, to hopefully pick up the, 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 the one volume. I don't want to get the five <laughs> you volume. Want five yeah, I'm, ones. I'm, I'm liable to lose one. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I'll definitely get the big one and. I'll pay it forward when I'm done with it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Cool.
Well, let's go hit this mic. Yes, let me get on that. Yeah, yes. yeah, definitely. Nice. Always a great time meeting up with Imani and nerding out, as well as hopping on that sweet, sweet open mic. One of my favorites in town. Make sure to follow Imani on Instagram. She's at Imani Denae underscore. That's spelled I-M-A-N-I-D-E-N-A-E underscore. And check out her upcoming schedule around town. You're definitely going to want to check out one of her sets live. But wait, what's this sound? It's... Not Vogon poetry, thanks Satan. Oh yeah, it's your water cooler facts. That's right, folks. It's now time for your water cooler facts. And much like with Alan Moore and the Watchmen series and Isaac Asimov and uh, that classic that I covered with Jamie Carbone, The Gods Themselves, I find it to do this week's water cooler facts about the creator of the series, Douglas Adams. Douglas Noel Adams, born 11th of March 1952 and died the 11th of May in 2001, was an English author, screenwriter, essayist, humorist, satirist, and dramatist. Adams was author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which originated in 1978 as a BBC radio comedy, before developing into a trilogy of five books that sold more than 15 million copies during his lifetime, and generated a television series, several stage plays, comics, a video game, and a 2005 feature film. Adam's contribution to UK radio is commemorated in the Radio Academy's Hall of Fame. Adams also wrote Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency in 1987 and The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul in 1988 and co-wrote The Meaning of Life in 1983, The Deeper Meaning of Life in 1990, and Last Chance to See in 1990 as well. He wrote two stories for the television series Doctor Who, co-wrote City of Death in 1979, and served as script editor for its 17th season. He also co-wrote the sketch Patient Abuse for the final episode of Monty Python's Flying Circus. A posthumous collection of his selected works, including the first publication of his final unfinished novel, was published as The Salmon of Doubt in 2002, which is typically included with a lot of the Hitchhiker's Guide uh, collections. Adams was an advocate for environmentalism and conservation, a lover of fast cars, technological innovation and the Apple Macintosh, and a self-proclaimed, quote, radical atheist. Hey, my kind of guy. Adams described himself as a, quote, radical atheist, adding the radical for emphasis, so he would not be asked if he meant agnostic. He told American atheists that this conveyed the fact that he really meant it. He imagined a sentient puddle who wakes up one morning and thinks, quote, this is an interesting world I find myself in, an interesting hole I find myself in. Fits me rather neatly, doesn't it? In fact, it fits me staggeringly well. Must have been made to have me in it. End quote. To demonstrate his view that the fine-tuned universe argument for God was a fallacy. He remained fascinated by religion because of its effect on human affairs. Quote, I love to keep poking and prodding at it. I've thought about it so much over the years that the fascination is bound to spill over into my writing, end quote. The evolutionary biologist and atheist Richard Dawkins invited Adams to participate in his 1991 Royal Institution Christmas Lectures, where Dawkins calls Adams from the audience to read a passage from The Restaurant at the End of the Universe, which satirizes the absurdity of the thought that any one species would exist on Earth merely to serve as a meal to another species, such as humans. Dawkins also uses Adam's influence to exemplify arguments for non-belief in his 2006 book, The God Delusion. Dawkins dedicated the book to Adams, whom he jokingly called, quote, possibly my only convert to atheism, and wrote on his death that science has lost a friend, literature has lost a luminary, the mountain gorilla and the black rhino have lost a gallant defender. 
It turns out that it wasn't just dolphins and mice that Adams respected. After his parents divorced in 1957, he, his sister Susan, and their mother then moved to an RSPCA animal shelter in Essex run by his maternal grandparents. Perhaps it was a formative period given the strong themes of animal intelligence uh, that run throughout the series. Oftentimes that's kept secret and being far greater than that of humans. Also in 1994, Adams was involved in a trip to Mount Kilimanjaro, for which he dressed as a rhino in support of the British charity organization Save the Rhino International, helping raise approximately 100,000 pounds, which in American money already is a lot more, and in 1994, that's a lot of money. Uh, he was also an active supporter of the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund. Adams initially struggled as a writer, having studied at Cambridge. He uh, struggled after graduating to make a dent in the universe that he so aptly depicted. He had initial success working briefly with Monty Python before falling into a rut and moving back in with his mother. In this pre-preeminent period, he worked variously as a hospital porter, barn builder, and chicken shed cleaner, and was even employed as a bodyguard by a Qatari family. And of course, he gave us one of the best quotes about procrastination yet. I love deadlines, Adams said, possibly while locked in a hotel room for days with his editor trying to finish the final draft of So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, quote, I like the whooshing sound they make as they fly by. The popular story Adams tells of the story's genesis is that he lay drunk and depressed in a field in Innsbruck while himself hitchhiking around Europe with the stolen copy of, you guessed it, The Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe. Although Adams admits constant repetition of the anecdote has obliterated any actual memory of that night, somewhat akin to the effects of a pan-galactic gargle blaster, no better explanation exists. Quote, Somebody ought to write a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy, he remembered thinking. Why? Because it looked a lot more attractive out there than it did around me in the field in Innsbruck. That, I believe. So where did the idea of the towel come from? Well, every good hitchhiker knows that one item you absolutely cannot do without is a good towel, and it turns out Douglas learned this lesson the hard way. When vacationing with friends in Greece, Adams recounts, Every morning they'd have to sit around and wait for me because I just couldn't find my blessed towel. I came to feel that someone really together, one who was well organized, would always know where his towel is. The towel is legion. On the 25th of May 2001, the first annual towel day was held in Adam's honor and has even been celebrated aboard the International Space Station by astronaut Tim Peake. Now, Adams was a nerd through and through. I mean, you might as well call him Douglas Mac Adams because, uh, you know, he was a sci-fi author, of course, but he also loved technology a little closer to home. He was a hardcore Apple aficionado, quite literally before they were cool, being the first person in Europe to buy one, the second being Stephen Fry. He went on to become a celebrity evangelist or Apple master, along with the likes of John Cleese, and claimed, quote, I adore my family of however many Macintoshes it is that I've recklessly accumulated over the years, end quote. Combined with his 24 left-handed guitars, he can't have much inner space to explore. Now, even though we lost Adams tragically young to a heart attack at age 49, he did live to see his legacy extend to the real part of his science fiction. Days before he died, the Minor Planet Center announced the naming of asteroid 18610 as Arthur Dent. In 2005, the asteroid 25924 Douglas Adams was named in his memory as well. More recently, SpaceX CEO Elon Musk revealed himself as a fan when he launched his Tesla Roadster into an elliptical heliocentric orbit, sending an important message to the universe at large. Emblazoned on the car's dashboard is, don't panic. Before we head off to the restaurant at the edge of the universe, I'd like to acknowledge the sources for today's episode which are Britannica.com, MentalFloss.com, ThePenguin.co.uk, and my own nerd knowledge combined with that of my wife Amanda. We went cruising in the pines this last weekend at the cruise room on Northeast Alberta, which was a super fun time. 
We heard great musical artists, got some super rad uh, Shady Pines radio swag, and munched on some great tamales. Definitely looking forward to the next one. You can catch a brand new episode each and every Tuesday from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. Make sure you download and update the Shady Pines Radio app and check out the ever-growing list of great shows and content available across the entire Shady Pines media forest. It's thick out here. Next week I'll be doing a dive into the sci-fi staple Gattaca. Super looking forward to that episode because I get a chance to sit down with one of the funniest people in Portland, Hewitt Pagenstecker, before the Friday open mic at my father's place. Gosh, I just love that spot. The food, the staff, the irony, since I have no idea where my father is actually at, plus the incomparable Michael J. Phelps hosting, so you know it's going to be mandatory fun time. In the meantime, here's a clip of Imani doing her thing, making people laugh, so please enjoy, and see you next week. Give it up for James Vasquez, everybody. This is great. This is great. I decided to dress like the background dancer in an Old Navy commercial today. I'm going to give that kind of energy to you guys. Um, I'm, I'm recently single, and um, I, I mean, I, I want to date again, and I really want, like, I want to let guys know that I am fun and available, you know? So, I know he just introduced me, but... My name's Imani, and I'm on birth control right now. <laughs> very fun, very fun. <laughs> yeah, um, so I, um, I'm like realizing, I, I'm, I don't care about a lot of things when it comes to dating. Like, I'm not a size queen at all. Like, it really doesn't matter how big it is, the little, giving everybody opportunities out here. <laughs> no, but like, I'm not a size queen, but I'm not going to lie, I prefer more medium range dicks. Like, I got a medium range dick over there. <laughs> no, cause like, it's like, it's the difference between sucking your thumb and your forearm for me. And, and I'm anemic, so I create a lot of flu. And so, it's like, and I can't, I can't breathe. And so like, I try to breathe through my nose, but it's always stuffed. Um, it's not really a blowjob when I do it. It's more like a blow internship. So I'm hoping that they see I'm putting in the work, their potential for growth on both sides, not just me, but no, um, I love laughing during sex. I think it's so fun to laugh during sex. I think I'm funnier during sex. We should all have sex. This would be so much fun. <laughs> so, like, I, I love laughing during sex. I like to tell jokes. Um, this guy, he's like, where do you, like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do right now? And I was like, I want you to suck the snot out my nose because I'm anemic and I create a lot of phlegm and so it's hard for me to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, like, where should I go next? Where do you want it? And I was like, well, well, the itchy and scratchy show takes place in my asshole, so maybe I'll go there next. get so tight. I was like <laughs> I had an abortion. <laughs> you know, vacuums, just kidding. Anyway, thank you guys so much. I'm in the money. Alright folks, since you've been so good, I wanted to add in a couple of little Easter egg facts at the end here. Uh, one of which is that the rock band Radiohead produced an album called OK Computer. We all probably know it. It is a recurring theme of the dehumanizing effect of modern life, and the songs were narrated by characters who were either trying to escape it, uh, as in subterranean homesick alien, become lured into it like in Karma Police, or have resigned themselves to being ground down by it in No Surprises. The second song on the album, and the first single from it, was Paranoid Android. The title was taken from our favorite character, Marvin. 
Tom York, the frontman, would have been 10 when the original radio series was first broadcast, and like many British kids of that era, he would have definitely grown up fully aware of the character Marvin. Paranoid Android was a pretty well-known phrase in the UK, but Radiohead recognized that it would make a great song title and was thematically a good fit to the album. The narrator of the song is, incidentally, considerably more paranoid than Marvin himself, who, at the end of the day, is just really very, very depressed. If you've ever seen the movie, you definitely know about the uh, infinite improbability drive um, and all of the different appearances that it makes when it arrives at various locations. So here are all of those so that you don't have to burn out your remote pressing play, pause, play, pause like I did. All right, here they are. We have a sofa, a fancy chair, a beach chair, a bar stool, a garden chair, a log, rubber ducky, anvil, a ball of yarn, an iris, or a violet, or petunias, I'm not sure. A hibiscus, sunflower, rose, garden gnome, bulldozer, police light, statue bust, smoking pipe, cup of tea, and of course at the end, creator Douglas Adams. There's also an ending scene during the credits that goes into a subplot where Arthur's last words in the movie, I wouldn't want to go anywhere without my wonderful towel, ends up traveling through a wormhole and uniting two boring alien races that were on the brink of war and destruction. Because when translated into their language, his words are the most grievous insults imaginable. Finally enacting their revenge upon reaching Earth, they're thwarted by none other than a dog, because it seems as though they didn't take scale into account when planning their attack on Earth. 